It is a it is a pleasure to be here. We spent uh, several years here. I think about six years here, and uh, we moved here right after we got married. And so um, we got a lot of great discipleship and care as we started having kids, and then more kids, and then uh, you know four kids. And so it's it's great. It's actually it's probably um, for me it's impossible to imagine that I would be the person I am today without the the care that we received from Al and Corey and from people like Sean and Rafa, uh, who really built into our lives uh, as we were here. And so it's, uh, it's great to be back. It's great to be back home with you guys today. Uh, before we get started, I want to teach you a little call and response. Um, some of you probably already know this, but if you don't, here it is. So uh, it's, it's popular in Nicaragua and in the rest of Latin America. So the first thing is, uh, I'll say... Quien vive, which means who lives, and the response is Cristo. So, quien vive? Cristo. Good, all right. And then uh, the next thing is a su nombre, which means to his name, and the response is Gloria, which means glory, right? So, a su nombre. Gloria. So, quien vive? Cristo. A su nombre. Gloria. Gloria a Dios. So uh, I'm a Presbyterian now, and so Presbyterians like everything really well and in order, and so we have a specific time in our services for call and responses, but in Latin America and in Nicaragua, they don't. So just as a heads up, this may come back later, right? <laughs> Spoiler alert, uh, you might want to pay attention, but we, we lived in Nicaragua now for a year. And so when we moved there, it was interesting because I spoke no Spanish. Uh, so my mom's Cuban, but she didn't teach it to me. And so I spoke no Spanish. I, it's probably not completely true. I could say, where's the bathroom? Donde está el baño? But uh, when you told me where the bathroom was, <laughs> all bets were off, right? I nothing, nothing. I, no, nothing's getting through. And so... So when you're in that type of situation, you move to a new country, you move to a new language, um, obviously sometimes you make some faux pas, right? You make some mistakes. So for example, one time I was speaking and I wanted to say that Jesus died for your sins, your pecado, but I made a mistake and I said pescado. Which means Jesus died for your fish, which I guess in some ways is true as well, but uh, not what I was trying to really drive home. So now there's a town in Nicaragua that calls me Tony Pescado. I think it's all right, though, because it sounds kind of like tough, like a mobster name. And missionary and mercenary are also real easy to confuse. So they're like, don't mess with that mercenary, Tony Pescado. He's a tough guy. I'm like, yeah, all right. I like that. Sometimes, though, uh, faux pas can be, uh, when you don't know the culture, you make mistakes, it can be a little bit more dangerous. So, so one time, I, um, we had a car. We bought a car in 1992, which was a good year. Right, we freed Q8 and uh, Vanilla Ice was topping the charts, and so, so it's an older car, and so when you have an older car, it breaks down a lot, and when you have a car in Nicaragua, it also breaks down a lot. So I was taking it to our mechanic, and so 
it was going to be in there for a couple of days, and I had uh, we only had one car at the time, and so I was going to need to take a taxi back home. So um, I had a friend of mine named TJ. I got his a number for his mechan- or his taxi driver, and so I I go and I drop the car off, and I go out to the street, and I call the taxi driver, and I'm trying in my Spanish at that time, which was really poor. He was trying to understand me with his window down while driving, and I said, uh, hi, I'm TJ's friend, can you come pick me up? And so he says, sure, you know, so we talk a little bit, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, right, and I'm waiting, and eventually this guy comes up to me, and he says, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm just, just waiting for my taxi. He says, well, that's really dangerous here especially for foreigners. Now, I know what you're thinking. How would anyone know that you're a foreigner? I mean, because I know, like, I'm rocking this Nicaraguan shirt, right? So, for you amateurs, it's hard to tell that I'm not a native Nicaraguan, but but when you're living in Nicaragua day to day, they can tell. So he's like, it's very dangerous here. So we talked for a little while. He's like, I mean... You need, to, you need to get out of here as soon as you can, right? So then he, he walks away. And then I get a call from Amber. And she says, uh, well, the taxi driver's not coming. So what happened was, I said, I am TJ's friend. But he thought I said, I'm your friend TJ. And after we hung up and he started coming to pick me up, the real TJ, who didn't know I needed the taxi driver that day, calls him and says, hey, can you come pick me up at the airport? So now the taxi driver is all confused, but, you know, he's going to where the money is, crazy gringo, okay, I'll come to the, you want me to go to the airport, I'll go to the airport. But he has a friend that's coming to pick me up, that's what Amber said, you know, so, so I just stand out there waiting, uh, you know, every time somebody walked by, you know, pointing, what are you doing, I'm Tony Piscato, don't mess with me, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and when you wait long enough, right, you start to doubt whether or not the person you're waiting for is coming. Uh, maybe that's happened to you when you go to a restaurant, right? And you're like, the first one there. And you tell me yeah, it's party of six. And the waitress is like, you said it was going to be a party of six. Where is everybody? And you're like, they're coming. I hope. Um, so sometimes it's hard to wait. It, it was hard for me to wait. But he did pick me up. I wasn't mugged or murdered. You know, Obviously. I'm here speaking. But, um, but sometimes it's hard for us to wait. And it's hard for us to wait, too, also for the coming of Jesus sometimes. Right? We, at some points, in kind of even in, in my experience in church, it was something that was talked about a lot with a lot of excitement. And then sometimes people just kind of seem a little bit embarrassed to talk about it anymore. Uh, it seems like that's not really the major thing anymore. It's not, not a big deal. And I think that that was some of the experience of the early church as well. And so, so we're going to be looking at Second Peter today, and this is written towards the end of, of Peter's life. We're going to be looking at chapter 3. So what was happening was, when uh, Jesus went back up into the clouds, they were like expecting him to come back soon. They were expecting him to come back quickly, but they were left waiting. And eventually what started to happen was people started to die. Like Christians grew older and they died and Jesus hadn't come back. And so, so they start saying, what's, what's happening? 
So this is what Peter writes, starting in verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Just pause there for a second. So what's happening? <clears throat> the, the, the people are, are waiting, right? They're waiting, they're facing persecution. And then there's other people, these scoffers come and they start making fun of them, right? Like, so Jesus, right? He's, he's coming back? Well, like, when's this, when's this going to happen? Do I've got time to go get a taco, right? Am I going to miss him? And they start, they start making fun of him. But, but they don't just make fun of him for waiting, right? They, they, go, they go even beyond that. They say, since the, the fathers, everything has continued the same. What are they saying? They're saying, <coughs> all your sacrifices, everything you've done, everything you've given up for the Lord, none of that has changed anything, right? Nothing you've done has mattered, Right? At this point, there's people who, who've died. There's people who've lost businesses, lost family members, all for Christ. And these people are saying, you were expecting Jesus to come back. Where is he? You've just wasted everything, right? Like, nothing's changed. Maybe you feel that way yourself today. Right? We, we go through our lives and we're, we're, we're trying to live for Christ and we're going to church and we're witnessing to our friends and, and, and sometimes it feels like things are just getting worse, right? Like nothing I'm doing makes any kind of difference. When's Jesus coming anyways? I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Has anything even changed? So let's look how Peter answers that question. In verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the word that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What he's saying is this. He's saying, yeah, God hasn't come back yet. Jesus hasn't returned, but it's not because he's dragging his feet. He's waiting. He's being patient. What, what Peter's talking about is that we're living in this this in-between time. Uh, if, we, if we look back at Matthew chapter 24, you, you don't have to turn there, it might be, it might be up there. Um, chapter 24, 14, uh, Jesus is talking, he's talking about the destruction of the temple, but he's also kind of looking beyond that towards the end, and he says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then... The end will come. So he's saying, so Jesus here is saying, look, look, I'm going to come back, right? The end will come, but first, this gospel has to go out through all nations. And if we 
Fast forward to, to Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, it says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What, what does it say? It says, people from all tribes and peoples and languages in every nation. And so what we see is, is Jesus says it has to go out to all these people. And then John has his revelation. He's like, it, it's done it. It's, right. it's reached all people. And so we're living in that in-between time where God is waiting patiently for the gospel to spread through the world. So he's coming, right? He's coming. He's not being slow. He's being patient. I try to use that sometimes when I'm running late and the family's way down. I'm not being slow, just patient. <laughs> Doesn't work that well, though. But it is true for God. And so the question then becomes, right, if this is what we're waiting for, if it's waiting for the gospel to go through all nations, how is it going? Right? Where are we in the process? Is it working? Are things, are things going well? Well, I think the, the first thing to say is obviously there's more work to do. Right? There's still places that have never received the gospel, places uh, usually referred to as the 1040 window, places like the northern part of Africa, into the Middle East, India, China, in Japan, you know, where, where the gospel is just really weak, we still need to, to go there and penetrate in those areas. But there's still work to do. But I think what we can celebrate is how much work has already been done. Uh, we, we really have a lot of things uh, to be excited about. And to really, if we look back at, at what Peter's saying, right? If we look back 2,000 years and we look at it, we can see that what he's saying is coming true, right? Because where did the church start? It started in Jerusalem and it spread through northern Africa and southern Europe. And then, then slowly it starts spreading through all of Europe, right? And, and it takes time, right? Because they didn't have all that much technology. For most of that time, they didn't even have the printing press, right? So it's going to be slow. And so eventually it takes over Europe and it comes to, to North America, right, with the pilgrims and all that. In, in 1800, about 200 years ago, 99% of Christians lived in Europe and North America. And that's pretty much where, where all the Christians lived, and that's actually pretty amazing, right? That it would spread that, that far in that period of time. But it was around that time where there was, right, there was some more technology. There was colonization happening and stuff. And so people started to say, you know what? We, we need to take the gospel to every nation, right? We need to start taking the gospel to them, to, to, to the Chinese, to the people in India. And so, so they, they started to do that. And it wasn't a product of colonization. A lot of people like to think that, but, but a lot of the, the, East India Company and those people were, were against missionaries moving, but they worked in spite of that. They exploited the system, right? And so that they could spread the gospel out to all people. So that now, 200 years later, 75% of Christians live outside of North America and Europe. And that's not because of the decline in Europe. It's because of the amazing growth that's happening all over the world. 
In AD 100, uh, or 100 AD, church was young, there was 300 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1900, so just a little over 100 years ago, that number was 21 to 1. In 1970, that number was 13 to 1. And today, that number is 7 to 1. So, so do you see what's happening? Not only is the church growing geographically, not only is it growing numerically, it's also growing as a percentage of the population. Right? God is winning. This is amazing things that, that are happening. And what's happening, too, is it's growing exponentially. So what's happening now is that things are starting to happen quickly, right? So, so now uh, Bible translations are known just to kind of drag out and take a long time. But now Wycliffe Bible Translators, the, the leading uh, agency that, that does that work, is starting to develop new methods and use new technologies. So they're cutting in half the time that it takes to translate the Bible. Uh, it's not unreasonable to think that in our lifetimes... The Bible will be translated, or at least started to be translated, in every language. Right? I mean, it's amazing stuff that's happening. We're also starting to see that, uh, that, that the other countries that are used to receiving missionaries are now starting to also send missionaries. So it's not uncommon to run into South Koreans, or to run into Brazilians, or Costa Ricans, or Filipino, or even Chinese missionaries that are going throughout doing this work of trying to take the gospel to every nation. Things are happening quickly. I think Nicaragua is a good example of that. Um, so a hundred years ago, is when, right, right around a hundred years ago, is when the uh, first evangelical missionaries arrived in Nicaragua. So that's just a hundred years ago. Just, just as far as like frame of reference, uh, does anybody here have a family member who served in World War II? Right, so, so I did. My, my uh, grandfather, Rance, served in World War II. He's in Patton's Third Army. So if they served in World War II, they were probably born around between the mid-19-teens, 1915 to 1925, right? So they were born about 100 years ago, thereabouts. So when my grandfather was born in rural West Virginia... He had access to evangelical churches in his little small backwoods, Mammoth, West Virginia, right? They had evangelical churches, probably Methodist and Baptist and and who knows what else. But they had the gospel. But but a Nicaraguan born the same day as my grandfather would not. He he wouldn't have had an evangelical witness in his church and his community until until later, because that's when they were first arriving. Uh, it's also interesting to kind of think about it this way. A lot of us, we kind of, as we think back in our heritage, and our Christian heritage, we think back to guys like Martin Luther, right, who, who nailed the 95 Thesis against, in the, in the uh, door of Wittenberg. When he was doing that, Nicaraguans were still throwing people into volcanoes to appease their demon gods. I mean, this is, this is how recent... The gospel is starting to penetrate, yet when you come, when the people who come this summer, they're going to see that there's evangelical churches now all over the place in Nicaragua. I mean, they're, they're, they're in these small towns, they're in larger towns, they're, they're all over the place. And it's really exciting to see that growth. But, but even though it's growing, right, a lot of times we can get frustrated as we start hearing about some of these churches that are growing out, out in the world because... 
we, they have a lot of error, right? There's a lot of legalism. There's a lot of just bad doctrine that's, that's suffocating in these churches. And so what we're trying to do is our work is trying to catch up with this growth and help, help them as they grow. So what our first phase is doing is bringing theological education. And so what we've done is we've, we've taken some material from an organization called Third Millennium Ministries, which has put together a full uh, kind of seminary-level education. They translate it into different languages, one of them Spanish. And so what we did for our first generation of pastors, which is about 15 of them, we gave them a tablet. So we took the entire program. We can put it on a little SD card and, and give them a tablet. This whole thing cost $55 for an education in the States, would have cost you know the tens of thousands of dollars, and um, they're able to meet together and to watch the programs. They're able to discuss it together. We we don't just give it to them. We also organize them into groups, learning communities, so that they're learning together and growing together. Uh, and, and they're able to watch it and to to get educated and get deeper. And because it's it's so inexpensive, uh, we're able to we believe we're going to be able to catch up with with what's happening. Uh, one of the other kind of neat things we found is, is that everybody has a cell phone in Nicaragua. So it's one of the weird things about the third world, right, is you go there and there's, there's all this poverty and then they like bust out cell phones. And, and um, so this is the cheapest cell phone I could buy in Nicaragua. I said, can I have your cheapest cell phone? And they're like, yes, $13. Uh, if you want to know the technology in this one, it's entertainment is you remember that game Snake, right? Right, Serpiente, right? They, like it's that's what this has, but it also has an SD card slot, so we're able to take the full program and put it in their phones, the phones that they already have, a fifteen dollar SD card, and they can listen to it. For some of them who have a little bit better phones, they can even still watch it, and so. So we're, we're using DVDs and, and just different ways trying to, to leverage the technology that's happening to help catch up with this explosive growth, right? Because the goal is that as a church grows, not only numerically, but also in maturity, they're going to be joining in the work of the Great Commission and starting to send their own missionaries out one day. And as more people are sending more missionaries, then this work is going to get done quicker so that... So that now it's not unthinkable that the Great Commission is going to be done in, in our lifetimes, our kids' lifetimes, and, and almost certainly in our grandkids' lifetimes, that we're going to be able to see this come true. right? That, that as the world kind of becomes more this one culture, and there's all this bad stuff that happens in that, that we're able to exploit some of those things, some of those technologies, for the spread of the gospel. Yeah, thank you. So I want you to hear that God is doing amazing things in the world. But, but a lot of times here in America, uh, we can feel like that, that's, that's over there. Here, we're, we feel beat down a lot of times, um, on the defensive. We can feel uh, discouraged by, by what's going on. And so, so, so that's why the writer of Hebrews, I think, says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? So he's saying, look, Look, when you're getting discouraged, look to the great cloud, right? Because of witnesses, the, the people in history, and even in, in reality, the, the work that God's doing all over the world right now because he's seated at the right hand and he's being patient, waiting for the gospel to spread. When you are feeling really discouraged, I want you to remember this, to be like Castro. Now, now, now wait, Rafa, just wait, wait. So I'm half Cuban. I'm not talking about Fidel. If I was talking about Fidel, my grandmother, who has now passed away, would have appeared like right beside me like a Jedi Knight, you know, like, hey, put me in my place. No, I'm talking about the Nicaraguan Andres Castro. So the story of Andres Castro is that after the Civil War, some American soldiers decided that it would be fun to go and conquer Central America. And uh, so they set about to go do that, and they were, you know, they had better guns, and they had just been in a war, so they did a pretty good job of it. Uh, but then they came to this place where they were fighting in a, a rural area with these campesitos, these, these farming guys, and they had this pitched battle. And at one point, the Nicaraguans started to run out of bullets, right, which is a bad thing to happen. Uh, and so what Andres Castro did was he went up and he picked up a rock and he started throwing rocks at these guys. And that kind of helped his bravery, helped turn the tide of the battle. And they ended up, you know, winning that battle. And it was this amazing folk hero. And so, so now when you go into government offices in Nicaragua, you see, you see this painting of a guy with his hand back with a, with a stone in his hand. And you see all these American soldiers, which is a little weird for me, right? Um, <laughs> But they were the bad guys, and, and they really were. They weren't American government people, but they were really the bad guys, and, and they were fighting. And so even though things looked dark, right, even though they didn't see a pathway for victory, Andres Castro stayed in the fight. And, and that's what I want you to do. Now, now Sean, what I'm not talking about is this. Um, going to your neighbor who's unsaved, right, and picking up a rock and just, like, throwing it at his head. Uh, Viva the revolution! You know, no, 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 like, just don't do that. What, what I'm talking about is staying engaged with what's happening so that you can be joining with us, right, through prayer. So, so getting missionaries' newsletters, um, you know, Obviously, we're connected with the church. So if you want our newsletter, that would be great. So you could be praying for us. Uh, you guys give to the cooperative program with the uh, Southern Baptists. I'm not sure if you know that or not, but that helps send money to the uh, IMB missionaries. We know some that are in China and others that are in North Africa doing some amazing work. And so, so stay engaged with those people. You know, it's it's really hard sometimes on the missions field. It's, it's really discouraging. You know, the devil's really trying to work against you, and it's, it's, there's all sorts of confusion because you're in a new culture, and so your prayers are powerful. But it's not just staying engaged with what's happening out there. It's also belie- staying engaged locally, right, in your, in your local community, in your, in your local uh, setting, in your local church. Right, believing this, right, that the God who's doing amazing things throughout the world can still do amazing things in your neighborhood and in your family, right? Because the God who's doing that still lives, right? Quien vive? 
a su nombre, a su nombre. Why glory? Why do we say glory to his name? Because he lives, right? Because he lives. Because God saw us in our sin, but came down as a man, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, took our sin, took our shame, right? And then he died and he went to the grave, but he didn't stay dead, right? He rose and he went to the, to heaven at the right hand and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us in this work to spread the gospel to all nations. And one day he's gonna return. And there might be scoffers now, but when he returns, there'll be no more scoffing because every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, right, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Quien vive? A su nombre. My prayer and my hope for you today is that as you go from here, that you would go encouraged, that you would go charged up, ready for the spiritual fight, that you would stay engaged even when things look dark, because God is not slow. He's waiting patiently, biding his time, and he will come again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you live. Lord, that you are waiting We thank you that your waiting has meant our salvation, that if you had come back a hundred years ago, that we would not be able to spend eternity with you. We thank you for your patience. We pray, Lord, that we would go encouraged, charged up, ready to face the scoffers and to not feel ashamed because we know that your waiting is your loving kindness. And we long for the day when you come again, in Jesus' name, amen. Stand up here, Tony. We're going to do two things here as we conclude. Number one, we're going to sing one last song, Lay Me Down, as an appropriate response to what we heard. But as we prepare to sing that last song, just wanted to pray for Tony. How appropriate this is. You don't know, he's on a mini furlough here and uh, visiting different friends and churches. Just be refreshed and also to bring this report of what the Lord is doing in his life, family, in Nicaragua as well, in his ministry. So I want to do this. Number one, I want to pray for him and his family. I also want to say at the conclusion of our service, he'll be out there. There's a mm-hmm. display set up in the hallway. If you would just like to hear more about what Tony's doing, you want to be on his prayer list that he mentioned. Also financial support as well. I just want to talk to the Ellswicks to hear about their needs. Would you talk to them? By the way, they didn't ask me to say that. There wasn't even a hint of that. They wanted to come here to serve, to preach, Amber in the back. They're simply serving us. But I want to be able to encourage them as well. So if you'd like to hear more about their ministry, please stop on by in the hallway at the conclusion of our service. So I'm going to pray, and then you're released to go back there. We'll sing one last song, and they'll be dismissed. But let's pray. Let's pray for the Ellswicks now. All right. Well, Lord, we're reminded this morning of what is termed your great commission from Matthew 28, starting at the verse 18, where you said, Jesus, all authority has been given to you in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, on the basis of your authority, the one who will consummate all things, the one 
who is not slow, but one who is patient, patiently working out his will, that all the nations would know you. Go, therefore, in that authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And then we hear this precious last phrase and promise. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, until your precious return, O oh Christ. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would empower and embolden the Ellswicks to live in a foreign country and to be your light, your witness, and to testify of your grace with the authority of your word and of your call upon their life. And Lord, would they know that you are with them through thick and thin, in weakness, in foolishness, that they know that they are yours, they belong to you, and you are with them, and that you will cause them to walk in the good works which you have prepared for them to walk in before the foundation of this world. May that be their confidence when they're looking around, Lord, what is happening, what is going on. May they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are with them, and that you are accomplishing your will through them, and that you will give them the grace to do all that you asked of them. Grace for Tony, grace for Amber as a wife, as a mom, grace for their four precious daughters living in a foreign land and place. Would you make that their home? Because you're there with them. Oh, Lord, grace them now. Encourage them, refresh them on this furlough. Provide all that they need. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen.